Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. When a judge releases kids from the Cook County Juvenile Center, Chicago's juvenile jail on the near west side, they're expected to be picked up by a guardian. But many kids under the care of the Department of Children and Family Services, or DCFS, they're not so lucky. Instead, they're forced to wait in jail until the state's able to find a place for them to live. And sometimes, that wait lasts months. Now, to be clear, kids endure these indefinite detentions for no legal reason. WBEZ has investigated this problem since 2015. But last year, kids waited in jail an average of almost two months. And that number is rising. Here to tell us more is Patrick Smith, a WBEZ criminal justice reporter who broke the story. Patrick, first, what is supposed to happen when a judge orders a child to be released from jail? Yeah, so as you were just talking about, you know, the young people in the Cook County Juvenile Temporary Detention Center are kids. Obviously, it's a juvenile jail. The kids are inside of it. So when a judge orders them released, their guardian has to come get them. The court has to know that they have a safe place for them to live. That is usually not an issue. For most kids in there, their parent comes and gets them. And actually, in the rare instances when a parent doesn't come to get them, the state has a special program set up to try to make sure that a kid gets out of the juvenile temporary detention center within a day or two because in another part of the state's agency, they recognize how important it is to get a kid out of jail as soon as they're supposed to be out of jail. Right. However, when a young person is in the care of DCFS you know, or a ward of the state, that's not really a term people use that much anymore, but for people out there listening, a ward of the state, and they get ordered released, that comes with usually a special set of guidelines. Like this child needs to get out of jail and they need to go to a place that has special therapeutic services or a place with wraparound services or they need transitional housing or something like that. So DCFS is tasked with finding them an appropriate place to live. The kid doesn't get to leave jail until DCFS says, yes, we have the place. We're going to come pick this kid up and, and take them there. And until that happens, they just sit behind bars waiting. How many kids are we talking about? How many of them are forced into this situation every year? So last year, it happened to 84 kids, and uh, more than 70 of them waited a week or more. The average wait time was 53 days. And what's really troubling, I mean, as if that's not troubling enough, the number is rising. That 84 number is the highest it's been since at least 2018. And in 2018, it was a couple dozen kids who waited. You know, the average wait time was a few weeks. Not, I don't mean to minimize that, but it's just both the wait time and the kids who are waiting has been rising since since 2018. Let's get a better sense of who these kids are, though, because I know many of them are still in touch with their families. But why are they separated from them? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, obviously each youth, each kid, their their case is different. Right. Everyone who's in there, they are youth who are known as duly engaged, everyone who this applies to. And duly engaged are kids who are both engaged with the child welfare system and engaged with the juvenile justice system. It's a relatively small population. It's an incredibly vulnerable population. You know, they're kind of being kicked around by two different systems here, or, you know, I think some people who work in it would say they're being helped by two systems. But either way, they're in a very uh, tenuous situation. Some of these young people, they were with their parents when they went into the juvenile temporary detention center, and then their parents either gave them up on their own or the state took them away because maybe they committed violence against somebody else in the household, or maybe they have really high-level mental health needs that the parent just can't handle at home. But many of them were foster care kids or were in the care of DCFS before they got picked up and went to JTDC. 
And that means that they were at some point earlier in their lives removed from their parents' care because of abuse or neglect. You know, you mentioned a lot of them are still in contact with their parents, with their family. Back in the past, I've interviewed kids who went through this and they talked about how hard it was to be away from their family. And I think people listening out there, maybe a lot of them understand this, but just because people are kids are in the foster care system, they still have contact. Many of them still have contact with their family members, their parents, other family that they see, that they get support from, that they have a loving relationship with just because their parent maybe is not able or has been deemed unable to care for them, you know, to be the the guardian of them does not mean that they don't have that relationship. So anyway. And does not mean that they deserve to sit and wait in jail. Certainly not. Absolutely not. WBEZ, as I mentioned, has been covering this since 2015, which is seven years. And uh, the DCFS still hasn't solved this problem, Patrick. So why isn't it being treated like a a five-alarm emergency? That is a really good question. And I I think uh, the reaction to this piece and and the piece that I did back in 2015 shows that people care a lot about this. They do. I think part of it is that this is a tough one to solve. There's not an easy solution. There's not an easy thing for for DCFS to do here. And the the population of kids that we're talking about, they, they are sometimes difficult for DCFS to find placement for. They're older teenagers, which means it's harder to find foster care placement for them. As I mentioned, many of them have you know, high-level mental health needs, which means they need very specific treatment. Um, they've they've been arrested before, so that makes it hard to place them too. Right. So I think it's just that it's not easy to solve, and so people are kind of they once the attention goes away, maybe sort of the focus on trying to solve the problem goes away too. You spoke to Andrea Lubelfeld, who's uh, the chief of the juvenile department of the Cook County Public Defender. Now she gets a list every day of the number of kids detained post-release. Mm-hmm. Here's what she had to say. These are children. They've been taken away from their families and suffered trauma. Every day they sit in the detention center, they are being harmed and experiencing more trauma. So she talks about the trauma that these kids experience. Tell us more about that. Yeah, well, the trauma she's talking about, I mean, it's it's really twofold. One, they're behind bars. There is a lot of research out there. There have been studies done that shows that any time in detention for adolescents is just really harmful. They have, they're more likely to have depression or suicidal thoughts when they become adults. Their physical health is more, you know, they've done studies where you look at kids who are otherwise exactly the same, except for one of them went into jail as, a, as an adolescent and one didn't, and their outcomes are just much worse. So this is just not a good place for kids to be. The other part of that trauma is that these are, you know, these are mostly, as I said, older teens, the youngest one, uh, Sadly, was was 12 who was on the list. Oh, my. But either way, a, an adolescent knows what's going on. They know that they're supposed to be able to leave jail, but they know that they don't get to. And they know they don't get to because they can't – That essentially, the message they're getting is nobody wants them. There's no place for you except for jail, even though there's no legal reason for you to be here. I, I don't think it's hard to imagine how traumatic that would be. Well, you know, if incarceration is so traumatic for kids, it, it makes me wonder, has this led anyone that you spoke with – to actually consider whether we need juvenile jail at all. Absolutely. I, I've spoken with experts before who, who talk about how the harm that we're doing to these DCFS kids is just, you know, worse by degrees to the harm that we're doing to all children by putting them in there. There are lots of other people I've spoken with who, who do not feel that way, who think that there are just some kids who, for one reason or another, need to be detained for shorter, longer periods of time. So it's not... It's not like everybody who's come across this problem has become completely radicalized. Yeah. But absolutely, when you start talking about the harm that's being done to these kids, there are some people who say, well, yeah, we're doing this harm to, to all sorts of other kids who maybe aren't DCFS engaged, but 
still shouldn't be in jail. Yeah, and and I do want to make sure that that's clear for our listeners. Some of these kids weren't supposed to go to jail at all, right? I understand some of them have been found not guilty or were sentenced to something other than jail. Right. So so what we know about these kids is that they were they were they went into JTDC because of connect uh, you know alleged connection to a crime. They went into the and I say JTDC I the Cook County Juvenile Temporary Detention Center. They went Thank into you. the juvenile jail um for, because of alleged connection to a crime. But but if I look at the list of kids like their admission date versus their the date that they were ordered released, some of them it's a week, some of them it's a couple days. I mean some of them were being held sort of pre-trial, if you will, until their case was was adjudicated out. Some of them were were being held for things that once the judge sort of determined what they what they needed, it was just probation. It was you should be able to leave. So it's not you know, and some of them serve certain sentences and then were released out. But no, you're absolutely right. There are kids in there who legally should not have spent even a day or two in jail, but instead are, are spending weeks or months. You spoke with public guardians who, who represent youth in the care of DCFS. What do they do exactly? So the public guardians are attorneys for, for kids who are in the DCFS, as you said. And essentially, most often what you'll see them is is there will be, you know, uh, child custody hearings. And there's somebody representing the parents. There's somebody representing the state. The public guardian is representing the child and only represents the interests of the child they will then go over into a juvenile hearings as you know juvenile criminal hearings as well where you have the public defender whose only job is to 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 represent the kid and defend them against the criminal charges and then the Cook County public guardian is there to make sure that all the other sort of legal interests of the child are are represented in court so they're yeah they're the attorney for 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 wards of the state well one youth guardian who's Nick Youngblood said that each week there's a court hearing for each kid where DCFS has to give a progress report on finding them housing. When a month, two months, three months go by and every single court date is we're trying our best, we're trying our best, but nothing ever happens, you know, a sense of hopelessness kind of takes over, I think, for a lot of the kids. They don't see an end in sight. What's trying our best? What does that look like? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I think for the DCFS caseworkers who are working on this, based on interviews that I've done, I think they really are trying their best. You know, it's 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 calling around to every possible center or or location that rep that could meet the specific needs of this specific child, and saying, "Hey, can we get a bed in there?" We're trying to work that out. Um, the problem is that there just are not enough, at least according to the people I've interviewed, just not enough places for these young people to go. So the DCFS caseworkers. They maybe are and probably are trying their best, but the system is just set up in such a way where the kids are not able to get out of jail. And and what you heard uh, Nick Youngblood talking about there was he was telling me about one particular kid who spent five months waiting. And he said these hearings are the DCFS caseworker saying, yeah, well, we tried to get him into X location, but they don't want him because of this reason. And this place, don't, they don't want him because of this reason. And you can only imagine how hard that would My be goodness. for a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, in your story, you also point something else out. One reason for the lack of housing was a 2015 decision to replace some group homes with therapeutic foster care. What's that? Yeah, so so the idea was uh, therapeutic foster care would be you have kids who have very high needs, young people who do need a lot of mental health support or other services. But the ideal place for them is not in a big institution, not in a big group home with lots and lots of other kids, but rather in a foster care, in a, you know, in a smaller home, a foster home. Mm-hmm. But then you have wraparound community services to keep providing them the, the intensive level of services that they need. Um, the problem is, according to the people that I've interviewed, the state sort of got rid of the therapeutic or no, excuse me, got rid of the group homes, got rid of the institutional beds 
without ever actually having set up enough of these therapeutic foster homes mm. to replace them. So the idea of getting rid of the institutionalized settings, most of the experts I talk to say, yeah, we should get rid of those. But we needed something to replace them with. You couldn't just just eliminate them and not replace them. So this practice of detaining kids in jail until they find housing, is it illegal? Like, Can lawyers sue? Well, I, I mean – I would have to think it is illegal. We have we have a constitution that says you yeah. can't have cruel or unnecessary punishment. We have – I mean they illegal. are defying a judge's order. A judge has ordered the kid released. Specifically, they have ordered DCFS to come get the kid and place them in a place – in a inappropriate setting. So they are defying a judge's order every, t- every day they don't pick a kid up. As far as lawsuits, there have been lawsuits filed sort of more broadly like consent decree ty- type lawsuits mm-hmm. on behalf of – children in the care of DCFS. Um, I'm not aware of lawsuits that sort of seek monetary damages for individual children who've gone through this. I, I wouldn't want to overstep and say whether or not that, whether those would be successful or not. I will say they are definitely defying judges' orders by yeah, not picking these kids it's up. It's worth considering. You are talking to lawmakers about how they can address the, the situation, though. What are they planning? So uh, I was I was actually speaking with, with Senator Feigenholz today, Sarah Feigenholz today, uh, and a couple of things she said surprised me. One was that despite this report and despite the problem that we have here, she feels optimistic that this is going to get better. She placed the blame back on that decision, you know, back in 2015, 2016 to get rid of the 500 beds, said that they are – DCFS is working to add more capacity. Um, you know, this latest budget, we the state did add dollars to DCFS's budget, and she okay. says they're going to keep working to add capacity. Her big thing – um, and she says this is what she's really working at and, and what other lawmakers are working at is trying to keep children out of the DCFS system in the first place. Right. And, and so that is – that's maybe a harder thing to do. That we, It may take a while to see results on that, but she says that's where she's focused. For anyone listening right now and they want to help foster one of these kids, what should they do? Well, I, if you go to the Illinois DCFS website, uh, you can sign up to become a foster parent. There's obviously uh, – you have to be uh, approved for it. You have to go through classes. The I've, traditional I've, I've, process. I, yes, yeah. I've had friends who've gone through that. Um, and it, that doesn't mean that you will be have one of these children there placed. And again, some of these kids need like really intensive care that, that maybe the average parent is not – foster parents not going to be able to provide. But one thing that DCFS struggles with a lot broadly are people who are up for fostering older teenagers. And, and that is something that – if you're willing, if you're willing to do that, you know I don't know if we can solve this whole problem with individuals, but that's a place where people can make a difference. That's always the more difficult group to get housed, unfortunately. Patrick Smith covers criminal justice here at WBEZ. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all for today's reset. We're still keeping an eye on the baby formula shortage, and we want to hear from you. Plenty of parents are grappling with empty shelves and how to feed their babies. Now, if you're one of those parents, we want to know, what's the search for baby formula like for you? Leave us a voicemail at 888-915-9945. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.